Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Good morning, BCV. I hope you are doing so, so well. It's my privilege to be able to come and share with you all this morning. I hope you're having a wonderful Sunday wherever you happen to be beaming in from. You'll have to forgive me for not being able to make it into the recording studio for this one. Unfortunately, I was struck down last week by COVID, and so I missed my recording slot. And when I'm finally free, I have to actually record as if I'm back in the lockdown days from the place that I used to do some Facebook Lives from. So it feels like I've jumped back in time a year and a half or two, but it's such a privilege of mine to be able to come and share with you guys from the scriptures this morning. If you haven't met me before, my name is Johnny and when or if you get to join us in person at our services, I will most likely be floating around and it'll be a real privilege and joy of mine to get to meet you. So this morning we're continuing our sermon series that we've been doing for the last couple of months in the book of Mark. If you haven't been with us, you may not already know that. If you have, I'm sure you already do. Um, but we've been taking a look through the book of Mark and just taking our time to slowly walk through this gospel account of the life of Jesus. A gospel basically just means a good news story. A good news story about the life death and resurrection of this man Jesus of Nazareth born 2000 and some years ago into the world that we believe was both fully God and fully man. And I don't know about you if you've been with us the last number of weeks but I have found these first chapters and a half of this book of Mark almost like a little bit explosive, right? Like tons of the Gospels have a bunch of like precursor work, maybe, you know, some stories about the lineage that the person's come from, or maybe the, the line that leads up to this person, Jesus, or the moment that they're in, or kind of the story of his um, kind of early days before he came and did ministry whenever he was a young child. But Mark, there's almost no apologies made for this kind of fast-paced, fast approach, in your face, this is how it happened this is when it happened this is what it looked like deal with it as Andy has said a few times before right off the starting line we've watched Jesus proclaim the kingdom of God we've watched him call people to repentance we've saw him drive out demons healing the lame and the sick preaching and ministering and teaching and going around and it's just action-packed the first chapter and a half are action-packed and I love it and today we're going to be zooming in on a passage found in Mark chapter 2 four small yet well-known verses Mark chapter Chapter 2 verses 13 to 17 and they make no excuses and are the same sort of action-packed like the rest of the book has been. So if you have a Bible with you at home you can join along with me or if you have an app you can join as we read Mark chapter 2 verses 13 to 17. Once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along he saw Levi son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they asked Jesus' disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. 
Do you remember right back near the start of the book of Mark? When Jesus starts his ministry and he says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. What kind of kingdom is it that the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming in that moment? Part of Mark's mission as he writes this gospel account to us, as he tells us this story of the life of Jesus, is to show us and tell us and give us a lens for what that kingdom looks like. What does it look like for God's kingdom to be at hand? And what does it look like when Jesus is the king of that kingdom? I think today's passage sheds a new lens and light upon those two questions. What kind of kingdom and what kind of king? We have this tax collector, or in some translations we hear he's actually a toll collector. This guy called Levi, or other gospel accounts call him Matthew, both the same name for a single person, sitting at this place in Capernaum collecting tax doing his normal job, getting on with his day-to-day, trying to mind his own business. Then Jesus appears to him and says, follow me. Now, a little bit of backdrop here, really, really important whenever we're reading the Bible to jump back and step back and get a little bit of the context. No one really loves the tax man at the best of days, right? And I'm sorry if you work for HMRC, but I'm sure you feel it as much as the rest of it. But try picture with me 2,000 years ago. Take your mind, wind it back, and let's pretend we're living 2,000 years in the past. Come to me, to me, with me to the Middle East. You've grown up as a Jew. It's all that you've ever known. The land that you live in is the same land that generations before you through your family line has lived upon. Your father and his father and his father before him have grown up in this land. You read stories from the scriptures and the Torah of centuries gone by of the nation that you're proudly a part of and how the land that you find yourself in was promised to them. But something in the moment that you're in, 2,000 years from our present day, isn't quite right. The Romans are ruling the roost. The guys that rule with an iron fist, they have no mercy and they squeeze your people who you believe rightly own the land that you're upon for all that they are worth. You feel like a victim, trapped in a land that you're supposed to own, ruled over by people with little to no regard for your ways of life. These guys are the enemy. About 30 years before the moment that you're picturing, Herod the Great, the ruler over Judea, died and the land of Judah was divided up three ways amongst his sons. Borders start getting erected in places that you've never seen them placed before. Three new rulers are put over these three new masses of land, Philip, Antipas and Archelaus. And it's hard to wrap your head around it and, and you just kind of find it a little bit confusing at first, but these Places that were never divided are suddenly being split apart. And these new rulers decide there's now borders in place. So let's put some toll fares down. And if you cross from one part of the the land that's now divided to another part, you suddenly had to start paying a fee that you didn't have to only weeks before. Doesn't matter which direction, doesn't matter how many times within a day, you suddenly had to pay a fee that didn't exist only weeks earlier. This money that you got paid or that you paid out into the hands of the toll collectors got taken up to these three rulers who then got given into the hands of Rome behind the scenes. And in the back of your mind, you can still remember in the distant past a time where these borders didn't exist and where movement was free and easy. But now when you come to a border, you come up against someone like this guy, Levi. 
Levi was ready to take your pennies so that you could go on your way. Perched at Capernaum, ready to dive into your pocket so that you can make the journey where only 30 years prior it would have been free to go past. But these prices for these toll roads were not fixed. It wasn't like the toll road that you're maybe picturing on the M1 or N1 down to Dublin, you know, two euros 40 for a car or 375 for a lorry, contactless card accepted. That's not what happened here. Levi chose the toll fare. Levi set the limit. How it worked back in the day was a tax collector paid a one-off annual fee to Rome to be able to set up their tax booth and then they made their money back over the next 12 months. But they set the numbers. They chose the limits. If Levi was fancying maybe a little bit of a holiday in a few weeks time, he could hike it up for a few weeks so that he'd get a bit of extra cash. Or perhaps Levi was running a little bit low in supplies that week. Just add an extra denarii onto the price, Levi. It'll be fine. And, you know, maybe a few weeks of the double rate and you'll be able to afford it. And if you tried to kick up a fuss based upon the price that he set, a Roman guard was standing behind him ready to enforce whatever he chose. Oh, and did I mention Levi, or as he's somewhere called Matthew in other Gospels, was meant to be a Jew. He was meant to be on your side. He's meant to be part of your people. So what's going on in your head when you cross over to Capernaum to get to Galilee and you see Levi, this guy in this passage, sitting there at this tax booth ready to pickpocket you? The guy who's one of your people but making corrupt money for the people that you've been oppressed by and your ancestors have for generations gone by, sitting on a road that only 30 years prior you didn't have to pay a penny to cross. I mean, that's like having a family member who's a parking warden charging you because you're two minutes over the limit. It's like the epitome of betrayal. This guy, Levi, was hated. He was the lowest of the low. In Jewish society, to associate with him was considered shameful. In their belief system, if he even so much as touched your house, it immediately became ritually unclean. And the Jewish nation that felt the oppression of Rome, that felt the tax collector's tolls as if they were a personal attack upon them and not just an inconvenience, have been waiting for centuries upon centuries for this promised Messiah to come and restore God's kingdom. And in their mind's eye, when they thought about that, they thought about someone who was going to come and set them free from this oppression from Rome, to set them free from these unjust tax collectors and tolpas, to set them free and restore them to the land that their people once had and now that messiah has arrived that kingdom is at hand and that king is on the scene and he's walking along beside the sea after an incredible moment that Pete took us through last week to a house after a moment at a house in Capernaum and when he sees Levi whilst walking along beside the sea, this hated one, this betrayer of your people, sitting in his tax booth, who's been making money but has been rejected by every person that crosses his path for years and years and years on end, what does this king, this Messiah do? Follow me. Imagine you're Levi in that moment. What on earth is this guy saying? Who on earth is this man? All you've ever got upon years upon years is hatred and disdain. And suddenly someone's coming up to you and saying, be with me, follow me. 
Luke's account of this same story tells us that in that moment, Levi jumped up and he left everything to follow this new person, Jesus. I can imagine that moment. His heart kind of just stops and skips a beat and he's like, what's happening here? Who on earth is this guy? And then Jesus goes one step further. He doesn't just kind of play nice, take Levi for a walk along the seaside and then call it a day and send him back to his tax booth. Verse 15 says this, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. According to the Jesus that Mark paints a picture of us for, the next thing that he does after introducing himself to the outcast, to the person who is hated by the people that he comes from, is to sit down with him for a meal with him and all of his friends, the many tax collectors and sinners. This was a table filled with all of the people who shouldn't be sitting down with anyone apart from themselves. This is the table filled up with all of the people that everyone looks by and thinks, I am glad that I am not in that crowd. And this is the table where sitting around it is the king of this kingdom that was pronounced to be at hand right back in chapter one. So firstly, what kind of kingdom is it that's here right now? What kind of kingdom is it that Jesus proclaims to us in this book of Mark? I mean, we all have our ideas of what it should look like, or, you know, we all have our ideas of maybe what the kingdom is. But what did those three short years of Jesus's ministry here on earth show us about that kingdom? And what does this account here particular in Mark paint for us? Well, firstly, this kingdom does not fit into religion very well. What do I mean? Well, notice the Pharisees' reaction whenever Jesus sits down for dinner with the outcasts. The religious scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company and lit in to his disciples. This is the message translation. I love it. They lit, he lit in to his disciples. What kind of example is this? Acting cozy with these misfits? Religion prioritizes rules and regulations, rituals and routines as a way of earning our standing before God. But the kingdom of God places relationship front and center and transformation then follows from that. The people around the table of the king are not the ones that should have been there. They are not the ones the religious leaders expect that Messiah to come and be with. They are not the ones who perhaps maybe even would have been the easiest ones to have sitting at your table. But they were the ones that Jesus knew were ready. The Jews of the day expected this Messiah to come and restore to them to being rulers within their land, to come and restore a kingdom led by the religious laws in the Torah. But this Messiah shows up and invites the absolutely unwelcomable to sit down for meals. And this isn't the first time Jesus does this throughout the Gospels. In fact, this is kind of like a theme all throughout the Gospel stories, that he sits down for meals with the unlikely ones. In fact, even more than that, it was kind of a way of life in the early church. 
As Peter Lightheart puts it, for Jesus, feast was not just a metaphor for the kingdom. As Jesus announced the feast of the kingdom, he also brought it into reality through his own feasting. Unlike many theologians, he did not come preaching an ideology, promoting ideas, or teaching moral maxims. He came teaching about the feast of the kingdom, and he came feasting in the kingdom. Jesus did not go around merely talking about eating and drinking. He went around eating and drinking a lot. The kingdom of God looks like a diverse group of people sitting around a table. It looks odd. It looks varied. It is a place where everyone who doesn't fit has a seat to come and be. Who isn't in the in crowd, the people that aren't meant to be there, whoever it is that's on the outside, whoever it is that feels uncomfortable to have around are the ones who are made welcome there. Does your box of the kingdom allow for that? BCV, we are a community that I know presses into this, right? We are a community of people that follows Jesus well within our city. We are not a community of people that kind of closes our doors and makes it just a slice little kind of I don't know, middle-class group of people that gets together each and every Sunday. We are diverse and we are blessed to be able to say that. But I know that there is more for us in this area. As we find ourselves in a part of the city that maybe gets a little bit more overlooked than we could care to say for. And I can say that because I live in North Belfast. As we plant ourselves here, not just for a short term, but for the long haul, we are going to be presented with the opportunity to welcome people from a span of backgrounds that perhaps we haven't been able to before. We are going to be welcoming people from one extreme of socioeconomic backgrounds to another, of one extreme of racial backgrounds to another, of one extreme perhaps even of religious backgrounds and traditions to another. And we are privileged as a church to be in the position where we have people from all across the world right on our doorstep. On a weekly basis, we come into contact with people from all kinds of walks of life here on a Sunday, joining us online and on our through our partner Compassion Charity Storehouse. Those who perhaps some people would look at and think they're a little bit of a Levi. They're not the in crowd. Those who perhaps it would be all too easy to look at them and think they are on the outside. But Jesus sits at the table with each and every one of them. And you know something? I honestly think that we are so, so blessed, and I mean it, to be part of a community that does live this stuff out. But sometimes we can maybe use having a compassion charity as an excuse or a get-out clause to maybe not welcome the insider well and truly in. Now, hear me out on this because I know that sounds a little bit like a bit of a reach. Jesus calls Levi to follow him, right? Then he takes a stroll with him and then he goes to his home. The key thing being here is that Jesus does not stop at the tax booth. He goes to the table. For us to become the community that represents and reflects the kingdom that Jesus shows us here, we have to be willing to go beyond the tax booth. To go beyond what's comfortable. To maybe sometimes, you know, go beyond the places that are normal for us to come into contact with the people that might be a Levi. Sometimes we can tell ourselves that we're open to the outsiders because we serve in spaces in which we come into contact with them. And that is really, really good. But what would it look like for us to not just stop there? To go beyond the weekly touch point at a church service on a Sunday. To go beyond the crossing over whenever we're sitting in a charity setting with people. To go beyond 
the stopping at the tax booth, but instead to get close, to get uncomfortable and to go to the table. You know, for me, this came home probably around about two years ago or maybe just a little bit less. And I have told this story before um, whilst actually preaching uh, about the table at BCV before. So forgive me if you've heard it before. Um, but I, I, it was really a, a really important moment for me in my journey with Jesus. Um, and it's something I have spoken about before, but it's because it's close to my heart. Uh, my wife, Amy, who you may or may not know, um, she works for our Compassion Charity Storehouse. and She um, is incredible what she does and I really admire her what she does and anyway Amy um, was at work one day in fact I think this was before she came on staff so she was just doing kind of voluntary stuff with storehouse as she did for a few years prior to coming on staff and she connected with this lady who was from East Africa uh, Anne Gilmore who's in our community introduced her to her and she connected with this lady and she went round to visit her in her house who actually she lived in North Belfast and she got home to me after the day um, that she spent with this lady and she was telling me about this lady and how she'd come to Belfast she'd kind of went through crazy routes to get here and it was just a real long slog of years upon years upon years of traveling and getting to the the kind of far side of borders and eventually she got over here um after fleeing from a corrupt government system and amy and Anne had connected with her and after telling me all this and i kind of had listened amy then told me that this lady had invited amy and i round for a dinner and to my shame <laughs> and i know i've said this before but to my shame I hadn't realised until that week something that was in my heart. As soon as I got invited round to this person's house for dinner, who was a refugee from another country, from another part of the world, with a totally different life experience to me, something within me felt like that was me crossing a line. Like I was going too far by going to the table. Like somehow this lady and I were too far removed for it to be okay. That somehow she was too different from me or somehow she was too far removed from my situation for it to be something that was okay. And I'd never noticed it before. But eventually, after a bit of coaxing from my very pure-hearted and wonderful wife, I said that I would go. And the next week, we went round to this lady's house, a small one-bedroom apartment here in North Belfast, where we're now a part of, with all sorts of issues with the building. And I met her, and I met her one-year-old son, and we had this meal together. And I cannot tell you at the start how uncomfortable I felt, right? It just felt like it didn't, I just didn't have a box for it. And... You know, I'd been in storehouse environments. I'd been with these wonderful people before. I met them. I talked to them. I built friendship with them. But I'd never sat at one of their tables. And it felt like a little bit of a kind of line that I had to get over. But actually, whenever I sat there, as we listened to her story, as we got to talk to her, as we built deeper friendship and we were served by her within her own home, my heart was cracked open in a whole new way. And I began to repent of that part of me that had held the outsider out. And you know, two years on, I now have the privilege of personally knowing her and many of her friends. And actually we had some of them as part of our Christmas day, this Christmas gone by. And it was just such a privilege and a joy to get to call these people family. And they bring so much to our lives. God's kingdom includes those that perhaps we don't think fit. It's not predicated upon an entry criteria. And let me explain what I mean by that. It's not for those that look the part right it's not for those who do the religious tick box items first hear this from edwards did jesus eat with sinners on the condition that they changed their lives was his association with tax collectors prostitutes and the reprobate predicated on their forsaking their wickedness and becoming godly persons 
Jesus would certainly have been pleased if that were the result. But if that were his intention, we might expect the religious leaders to applaud him, not oppose him. However, they did oppose him, always and everywhere. Their opposition is more explainable on the ground that reform was not the fundamental assumption of Jesus' ministry. There is no word in the calls of Levi and in the dinner with sinners about repentance. The scandal of this story is that Jesus does not make moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. Rather, Jesus loves and accepts tax collectors and sinners as they are. If they forsake evil and amend their lives, they do so not in order to gain his favour, but because Jesus has loved them as sinners. So what kind of kingdom is it that we see in this picture of Levi and the sinners? One with open edges, one with open doors, a welcome table, one with all sorts from all different backgrounds able to come and take a seat. Now, don't mishear me and hear me say that repentance is not part of the process. We heard from Pete last week about how important that is or that there's no need for the cross. Don't mishear me saying that. That is not what I'm saying. But as Garland puts it, Jesus serves as the host of a ragtag assemblage of social paras. In other words, Jesus does more than preach repentance to sinners. He befriends them. Does your picture of the kingdom or of our church or of your household have a wide enough door to be able to receive those who you look at and think, no, not them. To be more than just a place where they hear preaching, but to be a table where they can be welcomed to as friends. Secondly, what kind of king sits upon the throne? Who is this king of the kingdom that we see in these four short verses in Mark? Well, Jesus gives the religious leaders a picture so that they can paint in their mind's eye who exactly he is to help them understand what kind of king he's going to be. And keep in mind, these guys were expecting like a mighty warrior to come and set them free from the rule of Rome. But instead, Jesus says this to them when they are shocked at the people that he is spending time with. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but have come to call sinners. The king on the throne that Mark is showing us isn't firstly a warrior ready to charge into battle, and he is that in some contexts, but he is a doctor who serves the sick. It's like taking the typical power picture of a king and turning it 180 degrees upside down and inside out. This is not the typical picture of power. Jesus is communicating to these Pharisees and by extension to us that he's not the kind of leader that sits removed from the mess but instead he is right there in the midst of it because he has healing that he's ready to do. What would be the point of a doctor that never sees a sick patient? What would be the point of a surgeon that only ever operates on people with healthy bodies? Jesus is the king that's ready to step down into the places where the sick are find. And so in our lives, I think this has a twofold invitation. Firstly, as we said previous, where do our boxes of who's in and who's out, are? where are they too small for the kingdom that we are a part of? Or perhaps a good question to ask ourselves as we go into rooms is, who is sick here? What do I mean by that? Well, 
I have found out that whenever I'm looking across the room or when I'm you know, here on a Sunday or whenever I'm in any sorts of context that I find myself in, if I need to know who Jesus would be spending time with, I can ask myself, who is it that needs him the most? Who is it that's the most sick? And that's not something that I can judge easily or have any sort of necessary insight into. But whenever I see someone that maybe others would look at and think they're too far removed, that's probably the person that Jesus would go and spend time with. And I don't mean, you know, who's physically sick. I'm not saying this is an invitation to snuggle up to someone with two lines on a COVID test. You know that's not what I'm saying. What I mean is who are the ones who are considered the outside? Who are the ones that people look at and think, oh, I want to stay isolated from them? Who are the rough and the tough? Those who need the grace of God that we all need, but those who maybe perhaps it's a little bit more obvious to just look at. Those who dream, you could dream of seeing transformation completely turn their lives around if they were to encounter the kingdom. Who is it in the room that you're a part of? And what would it look like for you to go over to them and befriend them and welcome them to a table? And secondly, I think the invitation is for us personally. When we find ourselves feeling like we're too far gone, as Pete told us last week, when we feel like we are far too far gone, We need to remind ourselves that doctors, that Jesus, are the ones who deal with the sickest patients. When it's too hard to handle someone's sickness at home, when it's too difficult to nurse them back to health in the comfort of a home, doctors and nurses are the ones who care for those at their worst. That is the kind of king of this kingdom. When you think you're too far gone, when you think your sin holds you too far removed from Jesus, when you think you're too broken, too messed up, too sick, can't do it by myself, won't be able to get near him, he doesn't have any interest in me, Jesus is a doctor, not a lawyer. And he wants to spend time serving you so that you can be made well. A verse that always encourages me from Romans chapter 5, when sin increased, grace increased all the more. You are never too sick for a doctor to deal with. He is not putting you into isolation. He's not throwing you out on the street. He's not saying, I am done, this person, I can't deal with them. He is there with healing hands, ready to walk alongside you until you're well again, no matter how long that might take. So know that no matter how you feel, you are never too far gone. That when Jesus says he forgives you for your sin, He truly means it. So BCV, will we be a people that continually chooses to turn and face outwards? In this new season that we're entering into, in this new place, this new building in North Belfast, will we be a community that continually is unafraid to turn ourselves outward? To choose to never be a people with hard borders or tentatively open doors, but instead to be people that welcome everyone and anyone from all sorts of backgrounds in and to go further than just the tax booth but to go to the table and then will we receive that attitude for ourselves we're never too far gone for the grace of god we are never too sick for the doctor will we pray together as i come towards a close and bless you into the rest of your sunday so join with me wherever you are and let's just take a moment to pray so holy spirit i just thank you for your presence I thank you for your presence in our homes. I thank you for your presence in our lives. Make yourself known to the many households that may be watching right now or in the future or whenever it is that they happen to stream this video. I pray you would meet our community in power today. 
Holy Spirit, fall heavy and thick upon the wonderful people of BCV. May you transform our hearts so that we can see the outsiders, so that we can not just see them, but so that we can know them, so that we can be near to them and go beyond the tax booth and go to the table. And then, Lord, help us to receive your mercy and attitude and grace toward us that treats us as, as patients as if you are a doctor. Let us receive that and know that we are never too sick to be able to be cared for by you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.